the 95 people that you touched awesome good thing Scott boss is going to be at the front here afterwards um, if you're interested in going next year takes a while to actually go on something like this takes a while to prepare for that and he's gonna have some flyers and stuff here at the front and so um, so that you can start praying into that and get ready for that thank you again for just how you care about people that you're always thinking outside of yourself love being a part of you why don't you stand your feet let's say these words that uh, mean so much to us we believe in God the Father Almighty the creator of heaven and earth we believe in Jesus Christ his Holy Son who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Good stuff to believe in. We believe that. Be seated. Pastor Ed. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, if any of you are free tonight, um, the uh, uh, Ben and Noel, and also my son Michael, with his band Gunger are performing or doing a concert in the uh, auditorium at Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee. And I've got tickets here. Uh, they cost $15 a piece, but I will give them to you if you go. So you can join with us as some of us that are going down there. So if you want to take a trip down there, see me after the service, slip me a $5 bill tip. <laughs> We've been bumping up against a pretty big idea this notion of discipleship. And it's the call that Jesus has always had for the people that he took to, spoke with. He called them to become not just uh, people that said a prayer, but a people that would actually articulate, re-articulate their lives to him, opening themselves to his lordship, which means he would have an access into their hearts, into their souls. Interesting thing about this is that whenever Jesus talked with people, he didn't try to quickly convert them. He didn't just say, just say the prayer. <laughs> he would oftentimes let them not really understand right away, give them lots of space. And when you read him, it's interesting that he almost tries to talk people out of it. He uses stories that are, and these metaphorical stories that sort of make you kind of pause, take pause and consider what this might mean. He, for instance, one time said, if you want to follow me, it's not unlike someone that sits down that's going to build a huge tower. You'd better make sure that you think it through, that you plan it well, that you consider whether you have enough substance to take care of it, lest you build a little bit up the way and run out of effort, run out of strength, run out of money, and look like an idiot. He said, this is going to cost you everything. Another time he said, being my disciple is like kind of going to war. Well, that's a, not a very... Nice image, because wars are painful. Wars mean you have to sometimes be willing to sacrifice, to lay down your life, even to lose for the cause. And yet these are the metaphors that Jesus used. And as a result, there was a lot of people that walked away from following him. And uh, at one point, he looked at his own disciples and said, what are you guys going to do? They said, where are we going? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. We're in. 
So the idea here is that discipleship is costly. And Jesus hasn't changed in his call to us. If anything, it's just a little harder since he left uh, uh, this planet to be his disciple. I'll share why in just a moment. Uh, I love this um, old dead guy. I like the old dead people. Uh, Ignatius of Antioch. He lived in the, he was actually, uh, um, knew some of the apostles. And he died uh, in about the, just 108, you know, so right at the beginning of the second century. And he made this statement. He said in his old age, I'm just beginning to be his disciple. I think what we have to understand is this is true. Christianity isn't this simple thing. It's this life of trying to continue to say and cultivate a yes inside our hearts to a being we can't see. We know his words. We know his people. But it's a, it's a fairly tenuous thing, the fact that that he's not around here walking around. And we have to learn how to connect with this risen king, how to surrender our lives to this being, this person who we can't put our hands on. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament of this dude, Elijah, he's a prophet guy. And uh, he, um, he, he was, uh, uh, knew, had this sense that God was trying to speak to him. So he goes to this cave and he's hanging around the cave and all of a sudden this this, this kind of uh, fire just shoots everywhere. He thought, oh my gosh, this has got to be it. I mean, it's big, it's cool, it's got to be God. And it says God wasn't in the fire. And then there was this tornadic kind of wind. And it says that surely he thinks God's in this. It's, you know, it's getting my attention. But it says God wasn't in that. And then there was one more earthquake kind of thing. And after that shook everything, he thought surely God is here. And God wasn't in that. And then it says that all of a sudden there was this sense of a still, small, which how could you ever describe omnipotence as small? Small voice. The point is, easily missed. And God was there. See, let me tell you something about God that's a little freaky. He loves to hide. He loves to tuck away. He loves to try to freak you out a little. Remember when he's walking on the road to Emmaus with the disciples after the resurrection? Jesus says he's walking with them. These are his disciples. They've been with him for years. The scripture says he prevented them from recognizing him. I read that one day and I heard in my heart, I do that to you all the time. Why would you do that? Why would you prevent me from recognizing you? Because there's, there's one thing about God. One thing that he's asking from you the thing that pleases him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. What God's after is the hide and seek game. Do you believe it? Do you believe he's tucked away into your life, into your career, into your marriage, into you? Enough to seek him. He's sneaky. <laughs> it's, it's easy to miss him. That's why we seek him. That's the why of prayer. That's the why of worship. When you sing these songs, I mean, you can either just sing songs or you can focus on these songs and listen to what they imply and the trajectory they send your heart and realize he's in this song. He inhabits the praises of his people. He's in our songs. 
But you can sing them away. You can harmonize away. I, I know, I, I'm yelling. I'm, I shouldn't yell, forgive me. <laughs> it's true. I'm, I messed with her. But the reason we enter into those songs and we're looking for him. And so if you worship and you can stand here and sing and think that's it and never ever find him. What a tragedy. You can come to the table and not realize he said, this is my body and this is my blood. You can think it's crackers and dipping sauce and miss it. Or you can come with an anticipation. One of the beautiful things I love, because sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll, I go to Mass at the Catholic Church only because nobody knows me, and it's fun to go to church where nobody expects anything from you. But w- one, of the things, one of the things they do is when they come up to communion, not all of them, but a lot of them do this, they'll bow before they receive. I always look at that and I think, how cool is that? They think that's Jesus. <laughs> and you know what? Jesus said that's me. Say, but is it really? He's the one that confused us. He's the one that threw that out there. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to look for him in that moment? Are you going to look for him in worship? Are you going to look for him for See, discipleship means you're after encounters with the one to whom you follow. And it is no easy matter. It's not something that you can pull off by coming to church on the weekends. It's not a one-off weekend deal. You can't pull it off like that. Somehow, you need to find more pathways to God in the course of your week. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about seven historic pathways. These are things that you can do to encounter grace, to encounter the person of Jesus. And when you encounter the person of Jesus, you encounter stuff that's coming out of him. That stuff, theologically, is called grace. Grace is God's favor. It's God doing favors in your life. When you bump up against him, something changes. And be, be really sure about that. You need to be really careful about this. Christianity is not just something you pull off. It's not just an ethical life, a moral life. It's not just a theological construct. It's all of that. It's got all of that in it. But Christianity is about having an encounter with an actual person, the person of God. His ontological is how a, th- how a philosopher would say it. Ontological presence, his actual presence. And when you bump into him, something happens. There's an exchange. It's like when I was a kid uh, and I, I had curly hair <coughs> and, uh, uh, and, and my dad was a doctor in a small town that didn't have any doctors in it, so my dad was like a hero. So we were like these little heroes, you know, these little kids that they loved on, e- even though we deserved no love. Um, <laughs> But, but these older ladies that loved my dad and my mom, they would grab me. And, you know, I was right about that size. They put me right in their boob, you know, breasts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it was very uncomfortable for a child. And they're just squeezing me and loving, rubbing my head. And, I'm, and after I get done with that hold, back in the 60s, women wore way too much perfume. Some still do. Hear me, for the love of God, hear me. Don't wear too much. And so they'd hug me and like all that. And they'd leave me. And when I walked away, I was traumatized because I kept smelling them for hours. Because after encountering them, their smell got on me. See, now that's a negative pejorative thing. This is exactly what Christianity is. It's God pulling you into his bosom 
and hugging you and rubbing your head and him getting all Holy Ghost perfume on you. So that when you walk away, you smell like joy and you smell like peace and you smell like love and you smell like kindness. And it isn't from you. It's something other natural, supernatural. It's God's grace. So what we're after, this is what we're after. <laughs> this is Christianity. And so we have to find ways uh, to encounter this. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, but by the grace of God, everybody say grace of God. I am what I am. In other words, the way I look, the way I look, the way I act, the way I act, the reason why is because somehow I've encountered grace. I found the spout where that grace comes out and I get held and I walk away different. He says, but this grace to me was not without effect, which is a disturbing statement because what it implies is that sometimes God is trying to favor us and it doesn't affect us. He said, no, I knew it was there, so I worked hard with it, harder than everyone else. Yet not I, it was God's grace that was with me. He illustrates this further in another place in Romans 11. He says, for, what does it say? From him, everybody say from him. And then what else? Through him and back to him are what? All things, say it again. From him, through him, back to him are what? All things. And then who gets the glory for that? See, the, the re, to God be the glory. See, one of the most difficult things, for, I think, for us to remember, it, to this day, it's hard for me to remember. It's so easy for me to get up and think, okay, I've got to read my Bible today, and I want to spend some time with God, and I've got to do this. I've got to be nice to people. Um, you know, and I just kind of list this stuff so that I'm thinking, from me, through me, for God. And so, I, 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 you know, you, like those WWF wrestler kind of, you know, get myself psyched up for the match. I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill Christian. I'm going to knock this out today. I'm going to be holy today, right? Just psyching myself up because it's got to come from me, through me, for God. And some days I do pretty good. And the days I do pretty good, by the end of the day, I find myself singing, to me be the glory, to me be the glory, to me be the glory for the things I have done. You know, if I were God, I'd have thrown myself into hell a long time ago. I'll just be honest with you. Straight up. Straight up. We are so stupid. But what he's after is not what comes from us. What he's saying is, look what's coming from him. The, the claim is, God is up to something today. There's stuff coming from the throne today. And what we're supposed to do is look what's coming from him so that once we're touched by what's coming from him, we've got to find that channel, God channel, where stuff is coming from him. And once we find that spot, we get from him, we find out that we start doing stuff through him, back to him, to God be the glory for the things he has done. That's Christianity. That's why the very next verse, after he says, from him, through him, to him are all things, the very next verse says, therefore, because everything's coming from him, it's all through him, back to him. Therefore, I urge you guys, in view of God's mercy, in view of this activity, offer your bodies, present, one version says, your bodies 
to God. This is your living. This is what makes you holy and pleasing. This is what changes you. This is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, we're supposed to not perform for God. Not perform for God, but rather come to a God who performs in us. So that our lives look and smell different because of his activity in us. Somehow, grace messes with us. If you can encounter more grace, it will make you look different. It'd be like if we passed out at the end of the service little chunks of enriched uranium and just said, carry it. Put them in your pocket. Tuck it away. You won't have to work hard with it. You won't have to change yourself. It will change you. (laughs) Enriched uranium will mess with you. Christianity is about finding that place where grace is and leaning into it and opening up and somehow in that moment you get messed with. So that instead of being dominated by your flesh and sin and problems, you start being dominated by love and joy and peace because it's changing you. See, God's not looking for what you can do. He knows you're a toad. I love uh, Brother Lawrence. He's a guy that lived in the 1600s. And they asked him in this book, I'll refer to him again in a second, but they asked him in this book, they did an interview with him, and they, and he, they asked him, said, Brother Lawrence, do you ever sin? He said, oh. He said, I always sin. He said, well, what do you do when you sin? He said, I always tell the Lord, Lord, this is the best I can do. And if you don't help me, I'm sure I will find myself doing worse. I love that. Imagine if you, when sin starts appearing in your life, instead of beating yourself and saying, what's wrong with me? I need to try harder. Listen, honey, you can't try harder. In fact, if you try harder, you just make it worse. What you ought to do when you start, it's like taking a shower. I mean, or, you know, coming, we ought to approach this just like we do showers. If you ever working along, you work out or whatever, you work around the house, and all of a sudden you catch a whiff of yourself, you don't try harder to de-stink. Just try harder, I'll de-stink. If I run in place, I'll de-stink. <laughs> Honey, once you start to stink, you are destined to stink. Worse, you need help. You need the spout where the water comes out. And if you go in there as often as thou stinketh, if thou shalt go into the water and take a little of the soap of the word of God, thou shalt de-stink. Do not feel bad that you stink. Do not feel bad that you have sin. You are sin. This, I mean, I'm talking about apart from the work of Christ. That's what you do. Par. That's what you do. So, what I'm suggesting here is I want to quickly point out these seven pathways, these instincts that, that, and what I mean by an instinct is you have this sense, if I do this, I'll find that water spot. If I do this, I'll find that place where I encounter grace. Every one of us have these senses, these little instincts that if I do this more, I, I, every time I do this, it seems like love is easier. It's easier to be kind. It's easier to say no to sin. Temptation doesn't have so much power over me when I go down these pathways. So I want to just lay them out for you. There's seven of them, number one. You'll probably see yourself in a number of these. Uh, but what I'm trying to point out this morning is all of us are a little different. 
And if you're not careful, you'll have a different pathway than somebody else that you respect, and then you'll feel bad because you're not like them. And not only that, they'll make you feel bad because you're not like them. Right? Okay. So the first one is the naturalist pathway. This is the person who loves creation. Somehow when they encounter creation, for them it declares to them the glory of God. For them, it it kind of says that God is present in the world and that he's bigger than the world. He's the creator and it messes with them. Some people love nature. They connect with it on a spiritual kind of level. A lot of these people find themselves closest to God when they're out in nature, much more so than coming to church. I have a friend who's a preacher who, even before he preaches on Sunday mornings, loves to go for walks or go golfing or something. He just wants to get out because he doesn't like coming to church. I mean, he does, you know, I mean, he does kind of, but not nearly like he likes being out in creation. Now this, the text for these guys, if you want a Bible verse, is Romans 1.20. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature are clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, created, so that people are without excuse. I met a guy who was like this. He was actually an agnostic and uh, physician in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Gail and I pastored there for almost 20 years. And uh, this little town of 18,000 people, we had a huge clinic, private clinic, 400 physicians in this town of 18,000 people, 400 specialists. I mean, it was an amazing place. People came from all over the place. And uh, this particular neuroscience guy, he was a brain surgeon. They were, his wife was coming to church. He hadn't come for church for years and his wife did. They were about ready to move. And so I was going and saying goodbye to them and talked with him for a little bit. And we got in a conversation. He says, well, you know, I'm an agnostic, which just means I'm not sure there's a God, whether there's a God, I'm not just not sure. I just, I'm a scientist. I said, doc, listen to me. I said, I'm telling you, God's at work in your life right now. You just don't know it. He kind of chuckled, you know. And the reason I said that is because I remember this text from Acts. This is Paul talking to pagans, right? And he says to these pagan guys, yet God has not left himself without testimony to you pagan people. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and watch. He fills your hearts with joy. What's he saying? Paul's saying, even though you're pagans, even though you don't know the message, even though Nobody's ever, you've never responded to Christ. And even though you have all these false gods, you're confused. God still has a testimony in your life. He's still engaged with you. He's still working in your life. He's given you all the stuff, the provision around you. And you know, the stuff that makes you happy about being a human, you know, falling in love and having babies and, and just laughing around the fire or being with family, all that stuff that's so fun and gives you joy in your heart, that's God. He's at work in you. Most of us, if we're not careful, as evangelicals think, the whole world has, are full of the devil, and they're just lucky we're here to give them a little of God. Until we show up, God doesn't come. They're just under the wild of the devil. Devil bound, devil bound. <laughs> now, you know what you ought to think when you run into people, even the ones that are as pagan as the day is long? You ought to think, I wonder what God's doing in their life. And your ministry to them is, all you're trying to do is decode God's activity. And so this guy, that's why I said to him, I said, Doc, pagan, Doc. (laughs) I said, Jesus, I said, God is working in your life. He kind of chuckled. 
I said, okay, let me ask you a question. I said, is there anywhere in your space of your world where you, you kind of feel a place, maybe it's with your family, maybe I don't know where it is, where you feel in your heart like there's like a peace thing that's a little otherworldly or maybe just a little transcendent, this sense of peace? He stopped for a minute. He said, you know, he said, actually, when I, I love nature. So I go out and hike and fishing and do different stuff. He said, every once in a while, I get in spaces, you know, certain places where, where it sort of captures me and I'm a little awestruck and I go, oh, and it seems like something's there. He said, but that's just, you know, awe at natural things. I said, no, 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 no. I said, doc, that is Jesus. He laughed out loud. <laughs> I said, here, tell you what you do. Next time that happens, if you even think about this conversation, and that peace comes, that kind of sense of that kind of transcendent something awe comes, when you feel it, ask it. Are you Jesus? He laughed again. Three weeks later, I get a letter. In the letter, it describes how he was up in the north. They had moved, and they, they were up in the northwest. He was hiking with a bunch of his buds. They're out there, and he said he came across this pass. And as he was coming across, he was a little bit ahead of everybody. And he said he got there, and it just hit him. It was gorgeous. It was breathtaking. And it just hit him. And he said, I felt that peace that I understood, but it was only more intense. He said, I remembered our conversation. So under my breath, I said, are you Jesus? He said, he answered me. What do I do now? Some people have different modes of spirituality. Some of you, you, you feel so bad about yourself because you don't like reading the Bible. You don't like much going to church. You don't like much doing this. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It just means go on walks. Right? If, if you're, if you, if you're just, well, you get what I'm saying. Enjoy. Go, you know, when you would, on vacation, don't call it vacation. If you're going to the mountains or going to the ocean, call it your retreat. That's okay. All right, so that's the first one. Second one, uh, of the danger of that, by the way, and all these have dangers, is you emphasize nature too much. Enjoy it, taste God's grace, but don't think God is a tree. He's not a tree. Also, sometimes these folks will fail to recognize the need for community. You need community. Also, another danger is that you fail to understand that there is great value to theology and thought systems and beliefs. It's important that you understand Christianity has ethics to it and value to it and understanding to it, and you need to hear those things from the scriptures. Okay, so those are the dangers. All right, second pathway. Contemplative. Everybody say contemplative. These are the, uh, the people that love to focus on interiority. This is probably my largest pathway for me. I love getting quiet and interior. In fact, when I'm out on the, if I'm by an ocean, I hardly see it because I'm so interior. I'm always processing and thinking and pondering and wondering and asking questions and trying to listen to what was going on in my world. I'm very much that way. Now, some people, these are the people that love solitude. They love listening. They generally are more introverted. I'm not more introverted, but it is, it is my deal. And it's that Mary-Martha story. Remember where Mary and Martha were, Jesus was coming over and Martha was trying to get everything ready. You know, Jesus is coming to her house. He's trying to cook a, the best dinner possible, everything perfect. And Mary is so caught up with Jesus that she slithers away and sits there listening to Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, Martha comes in and goes, well, Jesus, 
I'm trying to get all this ready. I mean, I've got stuff on the stove. I mean, everything's just going crazy around here. And Mary, would you please tell her to help me? <laughs> Jesus looks at Mary, Martha and says, Martha, honey, chill. Do t- PB&Js. Do tuna fish sandwiches. It's just a, she's chosen the best thing. You're way too freaked out. And so Mary chose, this is Mary. She chose the uh, quiet listening. This is the contemplative. The monastic communities, monks and nuns are a great expression of this pathway. Writers like Henry Nguyen and, and uh, A.W. Tozer come to mind. Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to mind. She pondered things in her heart. She seldom spoke. She listened. If, if you're this kind of person and you're in a real busy world, try to find space where you can be contemplative. It might be if you have two or three jelly-faced toddlers and they're going crazy and you're at home with them, the only real contemplative time you have is in the bathroom. You know, do your business and then for just about 120 seconds, two minutes, lean against the, against the uh, um, door while the savages are beating and screaming <laughs> and just adore the Lord and trust that no one will kill themselves. The danger of the contemplatives is that they don't get enough community. They also have a danger of isolation. And if you only think and ponder within yourself, chances are you're going to make up stuff that aren't the things that are not true. So you get weird doctrines, weird spiritual insights. Just watch some Christian television. There's a lot of people that do this. And the other problem is you don't do jack for the world. You're always just contemplating what you should do. You never actually do. Which leads us to the third pathway, which is the activist pathway. These are the people that love to do, and when they do, they feel God's smile. They're the the do-gooders. They're the get-it-done people. They're the Marthas around us. They're the ones that, when they walk into a context like this, they'll say, great, I like what you're saying, but what are we doing? Right, they want to do something. The impulse, this is the, the, the kind of heart to do humanitarian projects or social justice projects, which a lot of things we've been doing, like the turkey blitz or the, this medical thing. There's a lot of us that are capturing this activist kind of pathway and we're feeling God's smile. I think the Holy Spirit is actually trying to bring that into, this into the American church with some degree of emphasis because I think the Holy Spirit sometimes emphasizes pathways. This is definitely one that he's, that he's emphasizing. Mother Teresa was here. She didn't really like a contemplative life in the sense that she wanted to spend time in a monastery praying. That's not what she did. She wanted to be out where the sick were and the poor were, working and rolling up her hands and washing them and caring for them. She was an activist. The same with, uh, I mentioned just a moment ago, Brother Lawrence, who said, you know, when he was talking about his sin, and they wrote this book called Practicing the Presence of God. It's such a beautiful little tiny book. You ought to order it on Amazon, still in print, written in the 1600s. And it's just, a, they're interviewing him. And they asked him, you know, what, where are you most, you know, where do you connect with God kind of thing? And he did not like prayer. He did not like reading the Bible or reading scripture or doing, he didn't like reading books. He didn't like, uh, you know, going to services and church. He just didn't like it. You know what he loved? Washing pots and pans, cooking and washing the floor. He said, I feel God here. He loved it. He did what he did as under the Lord. It was like worship to him. So much more powerful than reading scripture. So much more powerful than sitting and praying. Paul has a verse for this bunch. 
Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, whether word or deed, washing or cooking or changing diapers or working in that factory or doing the Starbucks coffee barista deal, whatever you're doing or operating on a person to help them get better. Anything that you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, as a worship. Give thanks to God as a worship to God the Father through him. You don't just worship God when you sing. You don't just encounter God when you read the Bible. Don't feel guilty if you're a person who is different. Just run after the things and do what you do as unto the Lord. The danger of this is that sometimes you stop doing it as a worship and you start doing things to please people and you burn out. The other danger of this person is you don't take enough Sabbath because there are times you need to stop doing because you're not a human doing. Right? There's, you have to take some B time. The next one is relational pathways. This is, these are the huggers among us. Do you know people that hug too much? <laughs> these are the fellowship junkies. These are the people that just absolutely, the small group junkies. They love being with people. And I'm telling you, I know some folks like this. They're wonderful people. They actually encounter God the most when they're together with other people that love God. Now, I love that too, but it isn't, it isn't my, it's not my instinct. I don't think, I really want to really open my heart to God more. I'm going to go hang with people. I don't, nah, that's not me. I need to go hide, get in my heart contemplative. That's my biggest thing. But some of you, this is who you are. You're so looking forward to this Wednesday night to be in this togetherness thing and party. These are party people. They love it, love it, love it. God's there. They encounter grace. They run away stinking with God. Here's your verse. This is Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Oh my gosh. All right, just pretend I'm not, I'm finished. It is like, don't shut me down because I'm preaching real good. It's like the precious oil poured on the head. Running down the beard, that's the anointing. Running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of the robes. It's like the dew of Hermon. This is all images of God's presence and power. And it's all about brothers living together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Listen, some of you, this is where you encounter God and you love it. And you just don't get much out of reading your Bible. I'm going to say something in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You do not have to read your Bible every day. There I went and said it. I went and said it. <laughs> Some of you don't like to do it. And I'll be honest with you. I, I love the word and I love to study. And this is actually one of the next, the next expressions is this notion of the student pathway. These are the word people. These are the people that want the truth. These are the people that absolutely think doctrine is top priority. They feel God smile when they study. And this is a significant pathway in my life. I love to study. And I love the scriptures. But, but you know, the reality is, is not everybody's here. And if you try to be what somebody else is, it'll just beat you up. I mean, even I love the scriptures. To be perfectly honest, I used to, for years I read the one-year Bible. And I have told God frequently as I went through the one-year Bible, God, your book is so boring. <laughs> I mean, have you read the book of Numbers recently? 
so and so we got 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 so and so so and so we got so and so so it isn't that God's not in it it's just sometimes he hides and I've had him tell me just stick with it. It's good for you to stick with it. It's a good discipline. And, and, and the image I got when he spoke to me was that, is this is, you know, that if you'll just read the Bible through and just push through it, though it's boring, you read a verse after a verse, and all of a sudden, pop, you'll get something cool. <laughs> and it's true. It's worth reading. Right? But don't misunderstand. You know, before the Gutenberg Press in the 1400s, Nobody had copies of the Bible. And most people in the world were illiterate. They couldn't read. And most people in the world today still can't read. Are you telling me you have to read the Bible every day to be a disciple? Or do you think that might be an American evangelical universalism? Okay, Bush. Navigators, Campus Crusade for Christ, the faith movement, lots of evangelical folks deeply value this instinct. I deeply value this instinct, but sometimes to the point of universalizing it. And what ends up happening is a lot of people do not feel very spiritual because they do not do this. And they live with this, they're like pig pen. They live with that hovering guilt, little cloud of guilt because they don't read the Bible very much and they don't pray that much. Instead of finding pathways that really work, you can grow spiritually going on a walk. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> last, uh, second to last one. Aesthetic pathway. These are the people who encounter grace via majesty, tradition, art, architecture. They love non-legalistic traditions. The smells and bells people. They love history, ageless church, liturgy. They love communion. They enjoy the church calendar. They're the ones that, among us, that when we said we're doing Lent, thought, oh, how wonderful, right? There's a lot of young evangelicals that are investigating this pathway. I, the, the, we've been investigating this pathway for some years. There's beauty in it. There's richness in it. What's so wonderful about it is it reminds us we didn't make the church up. We didn't make up what we believe. It's been passed from generation. It's a beautiful thing. The problem with this particular kind of thing is that sometimes we can think God only spoke. He's not speaking. Which leads to the last one. And the last one is this notion of, of the pathway of the experience. And the experience pathway person, this is most familiar to us evangelicals and, and charismatics. It's God speaking now. What are you doing? Yes, let's do this. It's the prophetic voice. I lived most of my life in this. And the reason we started experimenting with some of the pathways of the aesthetic and also with the activist pathways is because God's in those. And so we push the community a little bit that way. The problem with this is that sometimes when you get too much in the sort of uh, experiential pathway, you start making stuff up that God really didn't say. Or you think God is saying everything, which puts you in Laureate. And if you don't think that's a danger, I mean, you know, my wife, you know, we worked here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, back in the 70s, going to school, and uh, she worked in this particular ministry that, you know, there's a number of people who think everything they do, God said to do. And so uh, she said she was going to get something at the cafeteria, and the gal said, well, would you get me some candy? And Gail said, sure, what do you want? And she stopped. She said, well, let the Holy Spirit show you.
See, when I, when I hear people like that, and there are lots of people like that, I always the first question that comes to my mind is, how could you be that dumb and still remember to breathe? <laughs> I mean, it seems to me you just fall over dead. You're, you know, you just fall over, well, forgot to breathe. <laughs> Repeating historical heresies, making stuff up. I'm, okay, you know what I'm talking about. All right, so here's what I'm trying to say. Stand up so you think I'm done. Stand up. Here, here's what we're saying. And, and I mean this. Hear me now. Forget everything I've said. Listen to this. <laughs> Don't universalize your pathway. Don't be upset that you're not like others you respect because you're not. You just are who you are. Just find the spout where the grace comes out and live free. And also experiment with some of these. Some of you can't stand some of the liturgical stuff we do, the creeds we do. I just think it's dead religion. Well, you know what? You're an idiot. <laughs> Might as well just say it. Might as well just, everybody's thinking it. Might as well just tell you. You know what our problem is? We're Americans. You know what the problem with Americans are? We're ahistorical. That means we don't believe we even have a history. We make it up as we go along. What do you want to be? Anything you want to be. Why? Because we have no sense of history. Most of us don't even know anything beyond our great-grandparents. That, that if, you add, if you read anything about historians, I'm in the middle of a, a history degree, and one of the first things they say about America is, America is ahistorical. They have no sense of history. Because we're making it up as we go along. It doesn't matter what happened. What happened is irrelevant. Where we're going and what we're creating is what's relevant. That's us. Now, there's some real good stuff in that. There's real hopefulness in that. We can change the world with that idea. But the problem is there's some problems with that. And one of the things are is we think we're the first ones that came along. We think, you know, because we have smartphones and iPads and fly around airplanes, we are just the most brilliant beings that ever lived on the planet. We have no idea how stupid we are. I double dog dare you. know, I didn't know either. I double dog dare you to go back and take a class at TCC or ORU or TU, take a philosophy class and encounter Aristotle and get freaked out when you encounter someone who actually thinks. You know what we do? We opine. In other words, we give opinions. Little bit of Dr. Phil, little bit of Oprah, couple Bible verses, People magazine movie we saw. Well, I'll tell you what I think. <gasps> Please tell me. <laughs> we're, we're not used to thinking in Summa. We're not used to think. These guys were so brilliant. I mean, you will literally think, I'm an idiot. <laughs> because they mused. They thought in Summa. They thought, if then, if then, if then, and walked around the whole idea until, and it's, they discussed it openly, and you, you have this sense of brilliance. And not only them, then you run into guys like Augustine and Pascal and Aquinas. I dare you to try to read Aquinas. You look at it and say, oh, I don't understand it. Well, I'm no kidding. <laughs> you know why? Because we, we don't muse. We amuse. We're an amusement culture. Amusement means a uh, without Muse, think. We just, we just sit in front of the TV and let it think for us. (laughs) 
And then after it thinks for us, we say, you want to know what I think? <laughs> no, I couldn't care less what you think. <laughs> well, I, sometimes when I'm in church, I just, I like this more. I like this more. Oh, really? Arr, arr, arr. <laughs> Boy, I'm mean today. I don't know what it is. <laughs> mean and long. Yeah. Did you notice that? <clears throat> <laughs> So here's what I'm saying. We feel as a community, and this is, I'm talking about Brent and Janice, Gail and I, we feel in our hearts as leaders that we have missed a little bit of emphasis, that we need some adjustment. And the emphasis is, you know, we've been pushing because we felt Holy Spirit doing it, the whole aesthetic thing with our, with our creeds and all this kind of stuff we've been incorporating for the last 10 years or plus. Um, the activist stream and all that stuff, we feel it's really God's in it and feel that. But we have recently felt like the Holy Spirit wants us to reaccess some of our experiential, some of our roots in terms of what is God saying now, some of the prophetic nudge of what is God saying to us as a community. Because we're aware of the fact God put this community here. He's brought our communities together. There's a reason for it. And so we're, we're one in the same with all the churches, and like the, Holy, like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one in substance, but they're different in persons. We're one with the rest of the churches, but we have a personality that God wants to express, which we discover prophetically. So we're going to start digging into that. What does that mean? Now, a couple of things what that means practically to you is one is because these guys, particularly Pastor Brent and Janice, their whole gifting and power is so wonderful in the area of face-to-face ministry, uh, championing the small groups, championing the fact that we all have a sense of calling and identity. You, if, if you have any sense of not knowing where you're going, this is the guy to talk to. This is the guy that saved my life 12 years ago. So there's that gifting and strength. And they've got a great public presence. We love that presence. I wish I had multiple things. The only thing I pretty much bring to the table is public blather. So the, really the best, and I have a sense of the prophetic on me. So what we're talking about doing is I'm going to spend a little more time. You'll see me just a little bit more in the pulpit. You're going to see me just a little bit more on, in the platform during the services, during communion, some of those kind of things. And the only reason we're doing it is because over the next six months, we're going to see if we can try to nudge our whole community more towards the moment. What's he saying? How's he trying to mess with us? What's he want for your life right now? That, that moment. And so we're going to fight for it. I have a sense for that, always have. I've sort of pushed back from that because of the values that we've embraced, and it's all been good. There's a reason for that. Isn't, I didn't backslide. There's a reason, but there's, it's, we need to adjust. We need to, you know, it's like when you drive, um, you know, you just don't get the right angle and just go to sleep because the road changes. You had better adjust. And if you ever do boating, you know that it's not just adjusting this way. It's just the waves push you and stuff. So it's a different, boating is a different dynamic than driving on a road. And flying, if you've ever flown, my brother's a pilot. He's let me fly for 30 seconds at a time. And what's so weird is not only do you have this thing, you got this thing going. It's weird flying. And so we're going to fly ahead here in the next six months and say, God, what is sanctuary to be? How, what is the tone? We love some of these things we do, but where's that prophetic voice? What do you want us to be in this city? We need to stand up in Tulsa and say, we're here with a message. And this is an emphasis God wants for us. Okay, so what does that look like? Okay, I told you a little bit. I promise you, we discussed it. We want you to think we have it all figured out. 
So you feel confident. Nobody's worried. Everybody's comfortable. The truth is, we don't know what we're doing. What it's kind of like is, it's kind of like we've all walked into this big black auditorium. We know there's a string in the middle of that auditorium somewhere in the pitch black that if we find it and pull it, a light will come on. And so here's what's going to happen for the next six months. Come on, everybody, everybody move to the left, just a little bit to the left. Okay, everybody move a little bit to the right, a little bit to the right. That's what's going to be happening. And you'll look sometimes and go, what's going on? And we'll all say, we have no idea. God bless you. Oh, sit down. We've got to watch this thing. We've got a quick video to watch, and then we'll let you go. Promise. <laughs> Children's ministry people are going to hate me today. <laughs>
we've run over enough already, so it just really doesn't matter. Might as well just take a half hour doing this, right? <laughs> okay, Turkey Blitz time. Um, we're excited about this. We found hundreds of families that have just, they're just in need, and they, so many of these have just felt like nobody really cares. No, they've kind of lost their sense of of value in their own personal life, and so we want to we want to make a difference. We want to make a splash in their life, and uh, so if you give today, forty dollars would pay for an entire meal. And we're going to have hundreds of these. That we're going to pass out. Um, this we didn't bring the turkey. Okay, didn't want to run it, but uh, as you can see, it's it's a lot of stuff. Forty dollars will cover all of this. If you give at least ten dollars, um, then you saw the Texas Roadhouse. This is cool. They found out what we were doing. And they said, we want to be a part of that. And so they're raising money. They're selling these appetizer things at, at, their, at their restaurant. And they're giving money towards this offering. And, uh, and you can, if you give at least $10, you can uh, get this appetizer deal. Um, three appetizers, $21. And so, so ushers, we're going to have you come and, and take an offering here. The, the, we get to all be activists, okay? Cool thing about a community, ushers. Um, the cool thing about a community is, is even if it's not your thing, we get, to, we get to be stretched into this. And so we all have these opportunities where we can participate in this. And so let's give. Let's uh, take care of this need. We're also going to need some drivers. We need uh, 48 of you that would be willing to drive that could handle about, about uh, so it can't be a bicycle or motorcycle. You've got to be able to put three of these and some other people in your car. And uh, we're going to be delivering that. Pack night, as you saw, Texas Roadhouse is going to be um, catering that. So we anticipate about 1,000 people will come and be fed that night for pack night. And so you can sign up at the table out there if you've given. Now, we're not going through the offering and saying, okay, they give $10 and they give $10. And so um, honor system, if you give at least $10, go out there, pick one of these up and um, – Let's do this thing. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing that we can do. You all step up so well with these opportunities. Uh, let's make a statement in these people's lives. All right? Okay. Everybody giving? Everybody, just take your time. If you're writing a check, if you're writing that $500 check, just take your time. Just slow it all down. It's the ushers made us so late today. Um, <laughs> They are ushers, don't we? We love them. Amen. They're awesome. Okay. Just remember we have tickets tonight. It'd be so wonderful. I think Ben Noel would be so honored if some of us trekked down there as well as uh, the Gunger Band would love that. Folks from Sanctuary. They're originally from Sanctuary. And uh, also for uh, uh, Scott will be up here for the deal. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. Okay. If you've had a chance to give, let's stand. I love the body of Christ because we get this cool opportunity to experience the full expression. All these pathways are, are, are awesome. Re recognize, to just settle into your, um, your pathway and be confident with what God is doing in you. We, we so often separate these, well, these people are a little more valuable or they're better, more spiritual or whatever. Just settle into this and then let God stretch you into some of the others. Let's lift our voice. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise 
His Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. They all sound great. Um, we're a community. If you need prayer, we'll have a prayer team over here at the cross. Let's stand with each other and encourage each other. As you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May you feel his grace. Take it in. Let it soak in. May his face turn towards you and give you peace. Bless you. Go in peace today.